back to the Akron Beacon Journal on Ohio.com podcast. This is digital content editor Dan Kadar, and I'm joined as always by Brown's beat writer for the Akron Beacon Journal, Nate Ulrich. Nate, how's it going? Good, Dan. How are you? Very good. On this week's show, we are going to talk about episode three of Hard Knocks, which aired on Tuesday night on HBO. We're going to hand out some training camp awards when Steve Dorshuk of the Canton Repository and CantonRep.com joins us. Uh, probably about halfway through, I would say. And then we're going to close out this week by looking ahead to Thursday night's game against the Eagles in Cleveland on Fox. The game's on at 8 p.m. But, Nate, we're going to start, like I said, with Hard Knocks Episode 3. There was probably the least amount of Nate Ulrich on screen this, this week. Thank God. <laughs> However, I kind of thought it was dull, like... I just thought it was a kind of a boring episode, considering. Yeah, I thought the first two were great. I mean, I've watched Hard Knocks, I've, I've told you before, Dan, probably since for like the last eight years, eight or nine years. Um, and I thought the first two episodes were as good as any I've ever seen. And maybe the first one was even the best that I've seen. Um I thought this was going to be just a juicier, newsier episode because you had the Des Bryant visit, you had um, Josh Gordon returning to the team, and they showed Josh Gordon coming back to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. They were there at baggage claim at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport to show him picking up his bags on Friday. They showed Hugh Jackson talking to Todd Haley on the field uh, during pregame warm-ups before the uh, preseason game against the Bills on Friday night about Josh landing but they and then they showed Josh working out in the field house and lifting weights and running sprints and stuff but they didn't we didn't hear Josh speak other than two words um, he's you know when he was asked how he's been doing um, they didn't really get into that so that maybe is going to be what episode four is going to spotlight um, but yeah we didn't get get much out of that and I just thought we would and the Des Bryant visit we saw a snippet of it in the meeting with Hugh Jackson it was interesting how hard Hugh Jackson was going with the sales pitch yeah. you know even to the point where he says Des I need guys like you to turn this thing around and and he even threw out this is going to be the greatest turnaround in, in sports history um, so he was laying it on thick um, and so I thought that was interesting and uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, Corey Coleman was in town coming back to Cleveland right after they yeah. traded him to, to play against them. And I thought he'd be mic'd up and there might be some trash talk. There was nothing juicy with that. He didn't even, again, like Josh Gordon, like almost no speaking role at all. He just hugged Hugh before the game. So um, there just wasn't as much there as I thought there would be. Right. Yeah. The- the Corey Coleman thing was completely diffused because they showed the part before the game where he where he hugged it out with Hugh Jackson. Right. I was expecting like a Cam Newton, Kelvin Benjamin, you know, talking down to one another <laughs> fest. But it was just a hey man, nice to see you. Likewise, it was. I was really let down. I, I thought the ending with with Josh Gordon, the training montage. I thought it it, it was kind of like a. Game of Thronesy kind of cliffhanger, you know. Like at the end, you see the, the the superhero come back, and you're just waiting in anticipation of what he's going to do next. And I thought that was the best part of the episode. Um, you had the Nate Orchard stuff, 
they really painted him as a roster bubble player. I would agree with that. Is that a yeah? Is that pretty fair? I think it's being portrayed. I think it's fair. I mean, I think we talked about heading in that it's probably going to be Nate Orchard or Carl Nassib Mm -hmm. sticking on the team. It's hard for me to see both of them. Um, just because they added Chad Thomas in the draft, they assigned Chris Smith, and obviously with your starters, Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Agba, there's four defensive ends right there. So, you, I mean, it's going to be hard to have six defensive ends right. on the roster, especially when you could put Jamie Collins there. You can use My, Michael Kendricks like that. I mean, they like this Jannard Avery as a, as, a, as a blitzer, and they showcased him in the, yeah. in the preseason game number two against mm-hmm. the Bills. So you got some very versatile linebackers and nice depth there. I just don't see Nate Orchard and Carl Nassib on the team. Well, the the hard knocks narrative that's been painted about these two is Nate Orchard's the family guy on on the bubble, and you're rooting for him. And Carl Nassib is the kind of aloof businessman with questionable practices and how how he tells people to invest their money. But from a football standpoint, it, it kind of seems like Nate Orchard is the underdog in that fight. For, for the roster spot. Is that true, or am I just watching too much HBO drama? Well, I think Nassib has had a better camp. Mm. Um, Nassib um, is the backup left defensive end to Emmanuel Agba. Nate Orchard is a little farther down on the depth chart. You see him in that Bills game playing into the fourth quarter and um, missing opportunities that he was regretting instantly on the field. So... I do think that Nassib has actually kind of come on a little bit here. Um, the coaches are happy with the way he's um, added strength, really. That was a focus for him because he's a tall and lengthy guy by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, they really wanted him to get stronger in his lower body. And talking to defensive uh, line coach Clyde Simmons a couple weeks ago, um, I asked him, hey, who in your group has kind of really changed his body? Because usually when you talk to uh, linemen on both sides of the ball, there's always somebody who's gained weight or you know done something significant in the off season. On offense, J.C. Treader gained 10 pounds because he wanted to be a heavier center to go against the tackles in the AFC North. On defense, Clyde Simmons said it was uh, Carl Nassib and the way he's gotten stronger. Hmm. Anything else from the third episode of Hard Knocks before we're joined here by Steve to talk about training camp overview type of stuff? Hell yes, one more thing. Bob Wiley. Bob Wiley, baby. <laughs> there you go. I told everybody heading in that this guy is a character like no other, and I'm glad that Hard Knocks showcased him a little bit. Just from bumping into Bob Wiley and talking to him, that's who he is. Those funny sayings, those you know observations that he has, the jokes. I mean... None of that's scripted with Bob Wiley. That's the real Bob Wiley, for my experiences. And I actually saw him in the parking lot the other day walking his Maserati. And I've said this on this podcast before. He doesn't have one Maserati. He doesn't have two Maseratis. He has three Maseratis. They didn't get into that on Hard Knocks, but they got into the one Maserati. I saw him walking to it the other day, and I asked him, why haven't you been on Hard Knocks? He goes, they've been in my room three times or his office or his meeting room three mm-hmm. times filling him doing uh, card tricks because he's this amateur magician who's right. been on stage with david copperfield before well we haven't seen any of the tricks card tricks yet so i'm hoping that in the last two episodes we'll get one of those mm. yeah he he's like a walking meme every everything he did that episode <laughs> my friends are texting me like 
what's with this guy? He's amazing. Every time he said hike, his his belly bounced up on like <laughs> on command. Impressive, just an impressive specimen of a human. Yeah, and and you know we we're both kind of thinking that this episode could have been juicier, newsier, whatever you want to call it. Hey, the fact that it had Bob Wiley in it, it's worth watching for that reason alone. All right, everybody, we're joined right now by Camp Repository Browns beat writer Steve Doershuk. After 18 training camp practices, the, it's in the books for the Browns. Uh, so we're here to hand out some awards here, training camp awards. The guys are going to go back and forth a little bit. Steve, why don't you start? Who do you think was the offensive MVP for the Browns during training camp? Dan, for me, it was a fairly easy pick. I didn't have to do too much thinking mm-hmm. after I realized the value of the Terod Taylor. You know, we learned a lot about uh, Taylor during the uh, the training camp. One is we learned how to pronounce his name. It's Terod, mm-hmm. not uh, Tyrod. I'd have to go to the press guide to, uh, to find out what his mother calls him. It's his middle name. Uh, it's unusual, and I forget what it is. But Terod Taylor is the guy for me. And the reason is uh, fairly simple. Uh, they needed a certain level of professionalism and a certain look to the quarterback play from him. And he provided that in the spring, and he built on that uh, in the summer. And uh, it's, uh, it's very simple. It's uh, NFL uh, 101. You're not going anywhere unless you have a quarterback, and at least it looks like the Browns have a professional, promising veteran quarterback uh, for the 2018 season, at least the start of it. So Terod Taylor, the easy pick for me. I love the pick, um, not only because of his play, which was good throughout camp, but because of just the leadership that he brought to the team, he, how he got the guys in Los Angeles in the break between mini camp and training camp to work on routes. Um, he paid for several of his teammates to come out. I just think he has been outstanding in every way. Um, I do have a different selection, though, just because I think that Jarvis Landry – was so phenomenal every day in practice making a crazy contested catch. I mean, it was almost shocking if he didn't have one of these highlight reel circus catches um, in a given practice. So um, Taylor and Landry obviously are are connected at the hip right now and developed great chemistry. Landry was actually... uh, Taylor's kind of right-hand man when it came to organizing those workouts that I mentioned just a minute ago. So I, I, th- I don't think you could go wrong with Taylor. Um, I, but for me, I just thought that the guy who um, had the, the, the greatest amount of uh, spectacular plays and was just consistent as, as anyone was, was Jarvis Landry. Um, I think he dropped one pass yesterday, Steve, and we all kind of looked at each other like, what was that? I mean, it almost never happened. So I picked Jarvis Landry, another guy like Tyrod Taylor, who has brought leadership to the Browns instantly. Mm. But that is too... Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with, uh, with Landry either. Nate, I think uh, uh, I saw another drop with... Uh, with Jarvis Landry uh, just the other day uh, during the injury, uh, I think the the ball went off uh, Landry's hands. And another time recently, I saw him drop a pass. But insofar as the few drops were conspicuous, uh, you know that uh, kind of supports your argument. There were so few of them that uh, you really had to nitpick to find anything with uh, Jarvis Landry. 
So, like your pick, sticking with mine, you know, two guys are going to uh, uh, add some hope that uh, there's a chance against the Steelers. And that is two veterans that the Browns brought in this offseason. So it, it seems like they they were smart additions to the offense. Now let's move over to the defense. Nate, why don't you start this one? Which player on defense do you think looked the best in training camp for the Browns? Well, I thought Miles Garrett was dominant to the point where he was bored at times. Wow. Um, and, you know, that's part of him really kind of learning to be a dog every single play and, you know, not getting bored. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that he looked great in this camp. He's healthy. Um, we all know how talented he is, but it seems to me that he has matured as a player at the NFL level in his second camp. And, uh, you know, I think we've seen it carry over into some of the preseason games with some of the plays that he's made. I know he hasn't had a sack, but he made life very difficult on A.J. McCarron the other night. And uh, I think, you know, the coaches and his teammates are raving about him and expecting huge things from him, which they should because he was the number one, number one overall pick last year. But I think we're, we're really seeing everything start to line up for him. And, uh, you know, health will always be the key for him. If he can maintain it, I think this is a double-digit sack year for him. Steve, where are you at with the defense? You have, was yours Garrett, or do you have someone different in mind? I'm uh, blocking on the same snap count as Nate on uh, on that one. We're firing <laughs> off the line uh, real hard on uh, Miles Garrett. And the thing for me uh, with Garrett, Dan, would be uh, he could win uh, two of the, war the awards we're going to talk about today. He could win the defensive MVP, and he does for Nate, and he does for me. He could also win the category we're going to talk about in the second most improved uh, holdover. And I say that because last year, Miles Garrett did not come off as a number one overall pick. Whether that was his fault or not, uh, you could debate. In my mind, it was to a certain extent, because I don't think that Miles Garrett completely grasped the intensity and the juice that he was going to have to pour into the role of being a number one overall pick for a franchise that really needed a pick-me-up by somebody. And who better than to give a franchise a pick-me-up than a num number one overall pick? You've got to take a certain amount of responsibility when, uh, when uh, that's what you are. And Greg Williams, a couple of times, probably last year, and especially this past offseason heading into spring ball and heading into training camp, Greg Williams, uh, the way I understand it, got in his face the way you can imagine that Greg Williams might if uh, if hung around him in camp uh, or familiar with him or have seen him on hard knocks. But I do believe that Greg Williams got in Miles Garrett, Garrett's face and challenged him to be all that he can be, which is supposed to be one of the better pass rushers in the league. He's got to be that as a number one overall pick. And I think Garrett took it personally, and that showed in the spring, and it showed in the summer. And I, I think he is poised. Well, I'll go with uh, maybe Willie McGinnis. Willie McGinnis on NFL.com. Of course, Willie McGinnis was a, a top five pick uh, back in his day and played for the Browns and was a very good pass rusher and was a very good pass rusher in Super Bowls. Yeah, I don't know what he's looking at. He thinks Garrett's good for at least 12 sacks. Mm. So give me Garrett. It's an interesting choice, and I, I 
sometimes I think fans might not think that because this guy's the number one pick, you know, most improved. Boy, that that's really saying something. Nate, where do you come? Well, I'm from? not giving him most improved. Oh. I didn't say I would give. I, I would say uh, Dan that uh, he could be considered for that. Okay, and I think he had. But I, I hear what you're saying too yeah. because the the whole point I was just making was he wasn't there last year. Looks like he can be this year. So who who is your most improved holdover, Steve, from training camp? What veteran Browns mine, player? Looked mine is the and uh, Joku, David and Joku, the okay. the tight end, and somebody they really needed to be an improved player. And I know that you uh, Jackson and I would assume Todd Haley are putting a lot of stock in what they saw in preseason game number one against the Giants. That's just one practice game, but it was against the. Uh, the Giants ones uh, for a while, and then uh, Ben and Joku uh, got his second touchdown pass from Mayfield against the twos. But uh, in that sequence, both against the Giants ones and twos, he looked apart. The one thing that always sticks in my mind when I look at uh, David and Joku uh, is that uh, you know he's really cut. Who was it, Nate? I think you asked a question yesterday of Make Baker. Mayfield uh, and uh, Mayfield said of Miles Garrett that it looked like his body came out of a lab. He would certainly say that about David and Joku. I'm kind of a track and field fan. I know that uh, seven feet in the high jump is a real benchmark, or used used to be kind of uh, the unreachable uh, bar in the, the high jump. And uh, when Njoku was a younger man than he is now, he high jumped uh, seven foot one. Anybody with that kind of body carrying that kind of weight who can jump, high jump seven foot one is an athletic freak and he is that and he looks that but he didn't look like a very good player last year plenty yeah. of times this summer he's looked like a real good player yeah steve uh more than a year ago when he was coming into his first training camp i talked to uh uh his mentor and uh you know a guy who's coached him since he was a you know a youth football player and uh talked to some other people um, you know, some of his, I think I talked to one of his brothers, they're all pretty good football players. And, and um, the thing that stood out about uh, David's background, and you alluded to it, is um, they all commented on his track and field career. And David told me that he thinks he would be uh, an Olympic high jumper if he uh, were not a football player. Of course, he wouldn't weigh nearly as much as he does now. He put on the weight for football. Um, but he had that kind of success uh in that event and uh i have no doubt that um you know had he really focused on that and you know trained and uh conditioned his body um in, in a different way that that he he could have uh pursued that dream but i i thought about uh, miles garrett as well for most improved i ended up coming up with richard higgins i just think that richard higgins um had such a great camp and made plays consistently. I don't really have anything bad to say about him. I think that, um, you know, other than Jarvis Landry, he was the receiver who really stood out. Um, and, you know, last year he's a guy who was cut, and he's been very open uh, with the media about what that experience was like for him and how he never wants to have it happen again and how it has been a huge motivating force for him and I've seen the changes um, you know on the field uh, as a result of that you know huge chip on his shoulder and I think that's really good for the Browns because you know they picked those four receivers 
um, in the 2016 draft, and he's the only one uh, left on the team who's playing. Ricardo Lewis obviously is out for the season with a neck injury. Then they traded Corey Coleman and Jordan Payton's long gone. But Rashard Higgins, a fifth-round pick from that draft, has really shown huge strides uh, in this training camp. So uh, I think he could be, um, you know, a, a, a pretty good contributor for the Browns if he if he keeps going at this rate. I think that's encouraging that you both mentioned first-round picks and a, a receiver who, to me, kind of got caught in the logjam sometimes last year and the year before that for the Browns. So I, I think that that's all very encouraging, obviously. But it, we are talking about the Browns here, so it, we do have to have one negative thing to, to cover from training camp, and that's the biggest disappointment. Steve, why don't we start with you again on this one? Who, which player from training camp maybe were you expecting a little more out of that you kind of came away from these 18 practices saying, man, I, I kind of wish you would have seen more. Who's been the disappointment? I'm going to split my award, Dan, <laughs> between a guy who's no longer on the roster and a guy who still is on the roster. The guy no longer on the roster, of course, is Corey Coleman. And... The Browns, to uh, make things work as well as they would like to under the, uh, the John Dorsey regime, and as an aside, I, I'm, uh, if not completely impressed with uh, the tone that John Dorsey has set and the way he's gone about uh, making picks and the actual uh, picks themselves, I'm, uh, I'm uh, really, really impressed with, with Dorsey. But for his you know, scorched earth policy of coming in and adding uh, key players, he still has to have enough key players from the past contribute. And with the trade of Coleman, that means now that, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, I've got this in my memory right, but no Browns first-round pick before 2017 is still on the roster. Uh, am I missing that, uh Nate, uh, uh, I, I, that that's a struggle. But even if that's not uh, exactly the the uh, the case, the the fact is that so many first round picks and so many opportunities to uh, hit with high picks or hit with the uh, trade grab grab bags have fallen through. That somebody had to come through to really help Dorsey, and it had to be Coleman to a certain extent. And he just wasn't the guy. He looked bad, he didn't act right, and uh, the, the trade was a surprise to no one. So he was really disappointing. The, uh, the guy who's still on the roster to me would be Julius Peppers. Mm. Same thing. They can't afford one more blown first-round pick. And if Julius Peppers is a blown first-round pick, then it just gets to be maddening that the previous regimes left the current regime with nothing. Now, Peppers is, uh, is uh, kind of... Uh, uh, falling behind, uh, or uh, even with uh, Kindred, uh, depending on how you look at it and how you project that where it's going to go. But he didn't look like a first-round pick last year when he was uh, playing out in Bay Village uh, at safety, and he didn't do very well as a return man, an area in which he was supposed to be special. And he has not had, uh, uh, he didn't even have to have a special camp, but he hasn't done enough to... Uh, to even inspire the optimism uh, or a projection that he's going to be worth that first-round pick. Now, maybe he can be. Maybe somehow uh, Greg Williams is good enough to get that out of him. But right now, 
Peppers, to me, remains a disappointment. Steve, you nailed the uh, the draft pick trivia. Um, the Browns have, um, you know, the two first-round picks from this year and the three first-round picks from last year on the roster, and then that's it. Um, Corey Coleman, like you said, shipped out of here. That means nobody uh, from 2016 and you know earlier is on the roster uh, out of Browns' first-round picks. Um, I think that Peppers is going to have a much better season. Um, I think that this training camp um, did not get off to the start he wanted because he was hurt. He had a groin injury that he suffered while working out. But I think that he has shown um, at times that strong safety is going to be uh, a much better fit for him. And I, I think I've, you know, I've seen him making more plays. Um, there's been some interceptions. So I'm not nearly as down on him as you are. I understand everything that you're saying about him from last year. And he was a huge disappointment last year. I just, I'm pretty optimistic about him in his new role this year, though. Nate, I won't say that uh, I'm, uh, you know, everything I said about him uh, just now, before you went, uh, uh, would maybe uh, suggest, quote-unquote, down on him. Uh, I'm keeping an open mind on him, and I'm hanging on that thought that, that Greg Williams is just good enough to be able to express the talent that uh, that Peppers, you know, uh, was seemed to uh, have had have had plenty of when he was at Michigan. So uh, I, uh, I will not be surprised if, when they roll into the season and maybe even roll into preseason game number three here, that uh, that uh, he looks good. To me, though, he just has not shown it yet, including through camp. And the expectation should be high because he is a first-round pick, so I totally get that. Um, for my biggest disappointment, I kind of came up with one on offense, one on defense. I had Corey Coleman on my list. Obviously, you talked about him, but the other Coleman – I think was a big disappointment. Sean Coleman got an opportunity to step in there at left tackle. Um, obviously, you know, the team is trying to fill the void created by the retirement of Joe Thomas. And Sean Coleman um, lasted basically one week, maybe maybe not even a full week. Maybe it was six days of training camp before they pulled the plug on that and moved him to the, um, to the backup uh List and brought Joel Batonio over uh, from left guard to left tackle, and you know threw uh, Austin Corbett in there and, and Joel Batonio's old spot at left guard. And you know I just think that you know it's a big disappointment um, that the Browns had to do that because you know Sean Coleman's a guy they started every year last year at right tackle, and they were just hoping that because he played left tackle at Auburn and has always said. Um, that he's felt more comfortable on the left side that, you know, he'd be able to make it work there. And, and Joel Batonio could stay at left guard where he's been really good while healthy. So obviously that didn't pan out. And now you're, you know, making a, a, a big move by, by shifting Batonio over and you're changing two of your spot of your starting spots as a result. Um, so that was a big disappointment for me. And, I think to a lesser degree, um, but still a disappointment on defense is T.J. Carey. He was paid like a starter in free agency. 
he came in here and just did not have a good start to training camp. Terrence Mitchell really popped off the page in, in the early stages of training camp. And so Terrence Mitchell has overtaken T.J. Carey as the starter opposite rookie number four overall pick Denzel Ward. It's not to say T.J. Carey still can't have a significant role this season, but he did lose his starting job just like Sean Coleman in camp. So both those are disappointments in my book. And that'll be a big disappointment, Nate, to fans of the Ohio University Bobcats <laughs> everywhere. But uh, Kerry, uh, that former Bobcat, uh, you know, as you say, still has time to get better, and he's going to need to because with the uh, sprained knee suffered by E.J. Gaines uh, in, uh, in practice the other day, they need depth. They need, uh, need the guy to step up, and uh, he's got to watch in uh, preseason game three. Kerry? I don't think it's uh, it comes with any irony that we've spent the most time so far on our training camp boards talking about the biggest disappointments for the Browns. So guys, let's close it out with with a little bit of pleasantry here, and let's let's go over the most pleasant surprise. Uh, who who has been the who's been the guy that's kind of taken notice for you, Nate? Why don't you go first on this one? Well, this is going to sound silly, and you kind of mentioned earlier about Miles Garrett. Well, you know, some people might be surprised if you consider him for most improved when he's a number one overall pick. But my most pleasant surprise is the dramatic improvement that I saw on the practice field from Baker Mayfield, mm. this year's number one overall pick. And I say that because in the spring, I thought that. You know, there was a big, obvious, glaring adjustment period. And, you know, a lot of it was having to work from under center for the first time, really, because he seldom did so at, at Oklahoma. Um, you know, but he was just getting balls batted at the line um, and just seemed to... Um, escape the pocket prematurely uh, more often than not. And he came back to training camp and just started to calm down in the pocket, just started to look more natural coming back from under center, not just taking the snap but the footwork. I've seen the accuracy from this guy just improve throughout camp to the point where now you see everything that John Dorsey talked about when he drafted him number one overall when it comes to accuracy and the ability to fit it into tight windows. Um, I've just been really impressed with the way he has grown right before our eyes from spring until now. All right, Steve, close us out. Who is your most pleasant surprise from training camp? Well, call me a hard knock shill. <laughs> of course, uh, Nate... Ulrich is a hard knock star, so that doesn't make me a show. This makes me a team player, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> but uh, but my uh, most pleasant surprise of camp is Devin Kajust, who's been featured on uh, Hard Knocks. And not not saying that only because uh, my attention was called to him uh, during the, uh, the nice Hard Knocks uh, episode two piece on the Kajust and his uh, family situation. But it goes back to the spring. I noticed in the spring that, uh, well, the first thing I noticed was, uh, who the heck is this guy? I never heard of him. Devin Kajust? Who's that? But uh, I saw him working 
with the uh, the tight ends and uh, Al Saunders, who was the Whiteouts coach last year, is now working a lot with the uh, the tight ends. And I noticed that uh, Al Saunders really took a liking to Kajust in the spring, and uh, I made a mental note at that point. You know, I don't know what I'm looking at. You know, uh, who whom I am. Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, a lay observer, so to speak, and uh, I'm no scout. Uh, and even though I've uh, covered the Browns forever, what do I know? Okay. I'm, I'm kidding. That makes me a semi-expert, doesn't it? I'd cover, cover the Browns forever. But Kajust, uh back then was uh, was making some nice plays and uh, getting a lot of encouragement from Saunders. So I watched him, and I've watched him uh, all along through uh, spring and uh, through this summer and through the two preseason games. And in the two preseason games, he's made some plays. And uh, he looks like, uh, even though he was not all that productive at, at Stanford, uh, somehow or, or other, uh, he's uh, played his way into, uh, you know, in, into a, a position where a regime I trust, the John Dorsey regime, picked him to come here, and he, he's here, and he's taking advantage of the opportunity. What I love about him is he's just full of enthusiasm, full of the kind of positive energy that this uh, woebegone franchise uh, needs, and it's, he's not, not the only guy. Dorsey's done a real good job of uh, importing a lot of that kind of personality onto the team. But Kajus, on a second-line level, is emblematic of, uh, of just that kind of thing that Dorsey's trying to inject in this team. A lot of enthusiasm, all the right attitude, and he can play a little bit. So I've uh, been impressed with him. And I'm not, not saying all of this simply because my 14-year-old son was so impressed that he stunned our fantasy draft room by taking uh, Kajust uh, as a late-round late, uh, late round pick. <laughs> Against my advice, by the way. <laughs> All right, Nate, so that did it for our training camp overview with Steve. The Browns do have a game Thursday night against Super Bowl champion Eagles. That's at 8 o'clock on Fox National Television for the Browns. What are you looking forward to in, in that game? Well, I, I think it's going to be a good measuring stick for the Browns. I know it's preseason, so it's just a glorified practice, basically. But it's a glorified practice against the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, Nick Foles is going to be playing for them, you know, despite banging up his shoulder in this preseason. Uh, Doug Peterson said he's going to play. So, you know, the Browns are going to face the reigning Super Bowl MVP. They're not going to face Carson Wentz, but obviously Nick Foles did what he did last season. And uh, I just think it's a good test across the board. Um, for the Browns, really, I mean, the defense had four series against the Bills and four three-and-outs. You want to see him keep up that momentum. Obviously, Foles is, is going to be a better test than A.J. McCarron was for him. And then on offense, I just want to see the Browns put it all together because I think in the first week, the quarterbacks, Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, were on fire, really. They couldn't get the running game going, though. And then last week against the Bills in the second preseason game, the running game was great, and the passing game kind of stalled. So I think that it would be great if the Browns could kind of build off you know, those two games by putting it all together on offense and having a nice balanced attack where they're get, getting successful plays on the ground and through the air with Taylor and Mayfield. You know, Taylor and Mayfield haven't been turning it over. Um, you know, they've taken very few sacks. Uh, so I think overall both of them have played pretty well and had good training camps too. 
but you just want to see him put the, put it together as a full offense. And the starters are going to be playing for about a half. That's what Hugh Jackson said the other day. So, you know, they're probably going to play the first half. He said he doubted he would play him into the second half. And Baker Mayfield will, will play quite a bit, according to Hugh, uh, after Tyrod Taylor comes out of the game. So it should be a pretty good sample size against the best opponent you could really ask for in the preseason for a dress rehearsal. So um, I think it'll really give us kind of a good idea where the Browns are. I think I really want to see them as a whole team put it together because beyond the starters, you know, the, the running game, for instance, we, we haven't really seen Nick Chubb put it together for a whole game or his whole playing period, I don't think. The defense, we saw Nate Orchard whiff on that sack against Josh Allen against the Bills. The, the secondary, the second team secondary, I think has been kind of just okay. That's what I want to see. I Believe it or not, I'm actually fairly confident in the first teams on both sides, but this is the Browns, so there's going to be a ton of injuries. I want to see these players on the second unit and the third unit step up and do something. Like Avery, I think, has, has looked good at times, the rookie. Um, but I, I want to see more from from the deeper players on the roster. That's a good point because we know depth is so important. And... You know, even the even though the Browns' starting defense was lights out against the Bills, the second team struggled. Josh Allen produced points on all three of his uh, drives, and uh, you know they missed plays out there. Um, so your points well taken. Uh, I would also say team wide starters and backups penalties have been a huge issue, mm-hmm. and Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley in. Media availability, Adam Berea, and on Hard Knocks with a lot of uh, F-bombs thrown into the mix have been complaining about the team's lack of discipline across the board. So that's another thing that you want to see them clean up. Right. So that's going to do it for our show this week. Thanks again to Steve for joining us. Make sure you're following Steve on Twitter. He's at Rep. Nate is by Nate Ulrich. You can find Nate's work over at ohio.com slash browns cantonrep.com slash browns it's all there too whichever one you like have fun find it there watch the browns eight o'clock thursday night fox that's going to do it for this week's episode thanks everyone for listening we'll talk to you next time